Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Swing and a miss. Chased one in the dirt. Leon throws to first to complete the strikeout. And Shane Bieber, with 13 strikeouts, has tied the major league record held by Carl Spooner since 1954. Season's over. Season's over. It's done. Goodbye. Actually, the, if the season's over, it's because the, the bleeping Cardinals have COVID now. Yeah. And yeah, the uh, season might what... be done. You might not be wrong, not because of the game last night, but because yeah. of the Cardinals. I mean, it actually is possible that we're recording this early, you know, late in the morning on this Friday. The Twins might not play this weekend. They could play or they couldn't play. The Cardinals have COVID. That means that the Twins probably have COVID, which means the Indians probably now have COVID, which means the season's probably over. But not are... Shane Bieber. Shane Bieber didn't have COVID last night. Bieber and if fever. he didn't, he was asymptomatic. Uh, he tested positive for swinging and looking strikeouts. So we'll talk about a Twins game like it's a football game, and it's Action Movie Rewind Friday on the show today. And a quick thank you to Luther Brookdale Toyota. I have been getting cars serviced, and I have been trading in cars and leasing cars and buying cars from Luther Brookdale Toyota since 1999. No, when did I start driving? 2001. 2001. Not that old yet. Getting getting older. But um, my first car was a 1992 Silver Camry. And then I eventually upgraded to, I think, like a 98 Camry or something. Then I started getting into the new leases in the early 2010s. And uh, I can tell you that these cars are some of the most durable and safe vehicles on the road. They get great gas mileage. And you can get into a 2020 Camry for just $209 a month right now. Or finance 60 months at 1.9%. That's a pretty good deal right there. Stop in on the corner of 694 Brooklyn Boulevard. They're taking safety precautions, and if you feel more comfortable at home, they will bring a car to you to test drive. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. Enjoy more of the things you love with TCL. These two guys have Minnesota sports flowing in their veins. Mackie and Judd on Score North and scorenorth.com. He mixed it he mixed it all up well and he's had two starts so far this season, so I'm not trying to, you know, give him the side young right now. But at the at the end of the day, in those two starts, his command has been really well. I mean it's it's been, like I said, elite command with every pitch that he has. He he really did a great job of executing and I'm looking forward to the challenge the next time it happens. Josh Donaldson talking about Perhaps the best starting pitcher in the American League. Like, is it a stretch? Yes. That dude struck out 250 batters last year. Tim and Garrett Cole, right? I think yeah. so. I mean, he is a true ace. He is. He's better than, I mean, let's start here. We're going to break up, and we're going to do this in a more abbreviated fashion than we did uh, a couple earlier times. Just because we want to leave plenty of space for Action Movie Rewind. 
and wrapping with Royce. But I'll start us off here. Breaking a baseball game down like it's a football game because there's only 60 of them. Shane Bieber is certainly better than anything the Twins have in in, in the pitching sense. Yep. Um, and maybe better than anything any team has in the American League outside of possibly Garrett Cole. So that was ridiculous last night. Baseball is football. This was circa 2014 or 15. Aaron Rodgers against if the Vikings had had a good quarterback. So let's say Kirk Cousins, who's a good QB was their QB back then. It's that simple. Jose Barrios, he wasn't great, but he certainly was not terrible. And he came back from the first start against the White Sox, in which I think he was very disappointing. And he was he was far superior to that. And I think ordinarily with the Twins, if Phil, I told you the day of a game that they were going to give up, that the starter was going to give up two runs, that those two runs would be the only two runs that they allowed in that game, right? Um, you'd say, oh, I'll take that because uh, the Twins are going to score five. But this was this was an elite, top-level, probably top, as you said, two or three pitcher in the league against the best that the Twins have. And unfortunately for the Twins, you never really felt like pitching-wise it was that close. Did you? No. Barrios has pitched like that a few times in his career. But it feels like, I mean, Shane Bieber did the exact same thing in his first start of the year. He has actually struck out half of the batters he's faced this season, which is ridiculous. I want you I want you quickly to go to our favorite site, BaseballReference.com, and I want you to Google the name of the pitcher that Bieber tied his MLB record last night, 27 strikeouts in the first two starts. His name is Carl, K-A-R-L, Spooner, S-P-O-O-N-E-R, and I want you to look at his 1954 season. Wow. Look at his games, look at his starts, and look at the strikeouts. If, right, Carl Spooner. Yep, played for the Brooklyn Dodgers. Well, he only pitched two years in the major leagues. I know, but look at the 54 season in particular. So he made two starts in 1954. <laughs> yes. He pitched 18 innings in two starts. Yes. Both of them were shutouts. Why didn't he pitch again? There's a, there is a story I saw last night that went into the curious case of this guy. But is that not the most baseball-y baseball thing of all time? Yeah, he never pitched again after age 24. Did he get hurt arm, or something? Arm problems. I feel like arm problems didn't exist in the 50s. You yeah. just put some Bengay on oh, it. Oh, no, they did. There. You were just done completely. A couple of like, but how about that? Like Jim Cott, Jim Cott had a torn UCL before Tommy John surgery existed. He's pitched. And so he just like got a cortisone shot or he adjusted. every five minutes or whatever. Spooner, I think, was like, <laughs> I'm done. But anyway, two starts, two games, 54, 27 strikeouts. That's... His entire year with the Dodgers. So I think the biggest question off last night is, and, and you know, if you were to just look at Jose Barrios in a vacuum and say, "All right, he's going to come out, give you five innings, and his pitch count's going to be a little high, so he's not going to be able to go deeper than five innings, but he's going to give up two runs. He'll strike out six in the five innings. You good with that?" I would have said, "Yeah, I mean, I'd like to see him go a little bit deeper against that Indians lineup. Like the Cleveland's lineup is not the Twins lineup, but I would have taken this start." Yes. But I don't think Jose Barrios is capable of doing what Shane Bieber does at that top level. And so I think the biggest question here is if if Jose Barrios is the Twins' best starting pitcher Mm -hmm. for the rest of the season, how problematic is that if their goal is to win a World Series? All right. It's problematic based on this. The first round scares me. The matchup scares me greatly. You lose one, you you get shelled in three exactly. innings. But I mean, you know, la- like last night, if that's your matchup, that's trouble, right? And then, and you know, I, I get that in the playoffs, you wouldn't come back in game two, or you shouldn't with this. But the matchup 
if the Twins and Cleveland play tonight at Target Field is Mike Clevenger, Randy Dobnek. And and Cleveland, I mean, the incredible thing about this club is Kluber's gone, traded to Texas, right? And now hurt. Um, um, Bauer's gone. He's so, and this this rotation is Bieber, who's magnificent, um, Savali, uh, Plezak, Carrasco, Clevenger. Yeah, they're all they're all really good. And I, right, but yeah. I, but I just took two yeah. guys. I just took two guys away who you know were. Were or still are damn good, and I just gave you five names of guys who are from probably range yeah. from lights out to pretty damn good. The most, I mean, there's going to be games like this, and you're going to run into pitchers like this. And it would be nice if the Twins had a pitcher like this. Like he is in that Max Scherzer, Justin Verlander, Corey Kluber before some of the injuries. Like he's in that category. It's problematic though. And, you're right, and you will run into these guys. Garrett Cole, you're going to run into him in the playoffs. You're going to run into the 15 best starting pitchers. I still think over the course of, for sure, a five- and a seven-game series, the three-game series are very much crapshoots. And really a five-game and a seven-game series are kind of crapshoots too. But I still think this Twins lineup is good enough. Like, this isn't going to happen. If they face Shane Bieber ten times, this isn't going to happen all the time. But you're not going to score nine runs in a game that Shane Bieber starts. Like they did, you know, two out of the three White Sox games. So... To some extent, I think it's overplayed. Like, well, the lineup's irrelevant if you don't have Shane Bieber as your starting pitcher. The Twins lineup is so good that they can still win a World Series without having the 1996 Atlanta Braves rotation. Like, their their lineup is ridiculous. And so I think you got to find that middle ground of what, what do you need out of Jose Barrios in a start against Shane Bieber if this is a playoff series? And I think you probably need more than five innings and two runs. Like, I think you need your best starting pitcher to get you a little bit deeper into that game. like, But if you would have said again, hey, you're only going to allow two runs over the course That's of the, the game, you this. almost have to take that and yes. hope that you can score off of their bullpen. The, yes, exactly. Get Bieber out of the game in the seventh or something. So, But he's just that good. He is. Yeah, you're you're going to have to win that game 3-2 to two and find a way to get Bieber out after six or seven and then work on their bullpen. And they, they had an opportunity in the sixth with runners at first and second. The top of the order was up. I mean, you had Donaldson and Polanco right there. And Donaldson came into the game actually two for two against Bieber with two home runs, yeah, which is which is astonishing. And then he had a pretty pretty miserable I wouldn't say a miserable game yesterday because actually he had two zero and two counts and worked full counts against Bieber, yeah. so it wasn't a complete disaster for Josh Donaldson. He's definitely struggling and pressing a little bit, but that was your chance to tie that game up, and then it's a completely different ball game. Bieber is a master at working the bottom of the strike zone with that breaking ball. He just like he's he can throw it for a strike where you can't really hit it. And he can throw it for it to look like a strike, and Josh Donaldson fell victim. And he's to this what twenty five. He might even be younger than that. I mean, he's a kid, basically. Yeah, he's, not, oh. yeah, he's he's good okay. At baseball. Okay, baseball as football. football. I have six names. I have six names uh, from the Twins and their current and ordinarily small sample size, but now in a sixty game season, not so small. Um, uh, statistical uh, comps to read through, and I need to know if we're concerned or not, okay? Because it's baseball, it's football. Okay. All right. Eddie Rosario is 4 for 22 with a home run, three RBIs, and four strikeouts. 182 average. Are we concerned at all or not? My answer to all of these is going to be no, just so you know. Come on, it's baseball, it's football. You can go through them. I know, but I'm I'm not going to... I'm not concerned there. If you've played I know five Declan's games, going to be concerned about there, one of them. There's a lot of guys that slumped for like go look at. I think it was Paul Goldschmidt yeah, last year, or the year before. I know. Paul Goldschmidt slumped for like the first three months. But guess what? He played 162. 
I know. I'm just saying. Max Kepler, four for 22. Same as as Rosario. Two home runs, which, of course, came in the first two at-bats he had of the season last Friday night. Three runs knocked in and five strikeouts. No, I'm not panicking. Not panicking. The only the only way that you would panic is if one of these guys is, is physically injured or something. Mm-hmm. And, like, if, if a guy is going to slump for 40 games, which happens all the time in baseball. <laughs> you only it, got 20 left, yeah, but maybe. There's, there's nothing you can do. Like, I don't right, know. but that's why you panic. No, I am... No, this is where we have different. That's why you have to panic. It's a sixty-game no. season. You, you <laughs> might not even play sixty. What, what the do fan I might say? get you. What do I say all the time on this show? I say the gap between expectations and reality is where angst and panic lie. And what I'm saying is, I expect. And you know who loves that gap? Me. I know you do. Yeah. You thrive in that, that gap. gap. That's my gap. I expect. <laughs> it's like a swimming pool, baby. <laughs> I'm diving in that gap right now. God. I expect several Twins hitters to not get it going in this two-month season. They're not. So I'm I'm actually sort of at peace with this lineup not all wow. clicking at the same time. This is no fun. But that's the case with other inferior lineups as well. Imagine if your lineup isn't this good and you've got some slappy that doesn't have it going. You know? Josh Josh Donaldson, he's three for twenty one, one home run, two RBIs, uh seven strikeouts, including four in the past two games. Not, uh, not concerned. Miguel not Sano, I'll keep going. One for 17, 059, no home runs, no RBIs, eight strikeouts and 17 at-bats. The timing is going to take a lot of time. Okay, I want to get to the next one because uh, the producer of the show is going to be concerned, and I find this to be interesting. You didn't mention Buxton ripping a ball to left field last night. No, and, almost, and, and he's last on... Almost tripling on my too. list, but my next one, my penultimate guy, Mitch Garver, two for thirteen, no home runs, an RBI, and here's the interesting thing: two for thirteen, eight strikeouts in the thirteen at bats, one fifty four average. I'm concerned for Mike Piazza Jr. I'm starting to get concerned. Why? He, he's getting completely overmatched. It's been five at-bat. games, six games, and I just think the You're books. The bit, I, I, I think the books out in him a little bit. I think the book's out. They don't have to leave Wharton. They don't not. They know not to wear pit. Where to pitch Garve sauce? And Garve sauce is swinging and missing. At, at, I know it. It's not on the show right now. <laughs> but he's going to be on, and I'll tell him. I'm he's concerned. Garve sauce. I'm concerned. All right, all right. The last one. Phil approached his name. Byron Buxton, one for six. Okay, six at bats. He's hit the ball hard. An RBI. In two outs as yes, well. three strikeouts. But here, but here's why. Here's I actually want to applaud him. And ask you, are, are you now pleased, Phil? Because he did make a nice diving catch last night. We see Buxton is doing things in the outfield the way I want now. I'm so happy to see this. Like the diving catch last night, no problem. His head didn't spike off the ground. The fence or a teammate was not near him, I do not believe. The diving catch last night was the exact play that Buxton can make, will make, low-risk play. Yeah, okay. He's one for six. I don't care about that. No, just just so you guys know, the Twins are four and two and have scored the eighth most runs in all of baseball, despite the fact that and they have five guys that haven't even woken up yet. And if the Vikings, if the Vikings were were two and zero oh and Cousins had three picks, we'd be dissecting it and we'd be upset and we'd be saying, "Is Sean Mannion <laughs> available on Sunday?" Or the voice of reason would come in and say, "Listen, Kirk Cousins has put up the same numbers for six straight years, unless he's physically." impacted by a torn labrum, I think he's probably going to settle down, except I, when it's the fourth quarter at Lambeau. I prepare for the show with <laughs> baseball as football, okay? I've got one My more, goal I've, coming in. I've got one more. Uh, it's not really baseball as football, but it's something that needs to be observed off last night. Football. <laughs> 
I'm stealing a, a segment from our guy Chansey and Fargo here. Oh, yes. Can we stop with the virtual fans? Yes. <laughs> that was the creepiest cool. thing I've ever seen in a national baseball broadcast. How often do you see them? Every shot or just no. a few camera shots? You, you see them. You, you really only see them when a ball is put into play and you get the wide view of the field or whatever. Yep. Or you get like a ball down the right field line and it's and it's uh, it's curving into the stands for a foul ball. Then you see it's like this weird. They, they look like zombies. They it, I saw it, they it literally look in like the press zombies. box when I lo- looked up at the TV. It did look odd. And they've kind of made it so that if a foul ball goes into the stands, yep. they kind of make it so that the fans all kind of turn toward where the foul ball is, but not really. It's not necessary. It is. It doesn't add anything. It, right. It's weird. It's super weird. Why can't we just be comfortable with silence? So there's, it's this is an unprecedented year in can our country. Hear, Let's embrace the empty ballpark. Can you hear the in-stadium noise that's being piped in through the TV? Yes. Okay, and, so and that's I, enough to me. And I don't know that's if Fox I, is layering in their own. I know that for Fox Sports North, you're just picking up the sound that you guys are hearing in the stadium. Right. It felt like Fox last night was maybe putting some additional crowd noise in too, like the zombie crowd noise. <laughs> It was super creepy. The zombies. Declan, you saw some of it, too, because I know you guys were both in the press box, but you tweeted a couple times about it. I, I didn't mind the crowd noise. No, the noise is good. The noise was fine, but the, the fans was terrifying, dude. It was absolutely <laughs> creepy. You guys have seen Night of the Living Dead. That's I think what somebody I was tweeted that last night. Was it Judd? What if those fans, like, turn on, <laughs> on the, the players and start to eat them? <laughs> Like Miguel oh Sano's a torso. All of a sudden, we're back vir- from break. Miguel Sano's been eating. The virtual fans just start slowly walking onto the yes. field. They just come trupping <laughs> on the field. You're right. Old school. It's a horror movie. Um, that's amazing. Well, that is uh, that's that's breaking a baseball football. game down like it's football. And I think now we just are kind of in a waiting game because the news that came out this morning. At least two St. Louis Cardinals pitchers tested positive for COVID. The names aren't out there yet. Mm-hmm. And, of course, like if it winds up being 15 like the Marlins and they're not playing for a week and then the team that they were playing before is not going to play for a week. And so this is where baseball has to have had a plan for this type of scenario. All right, well, so if five guys on the Cardinals test positive, they just played the Twins. Okay, now do we have to wait like five or six days to see if COVID settled into Mitch Garver? Like... Right. Or do you play? I don't know. Because if the, the Twins are going to take tests today, but if they test negative today, Here's the problem does too. it not mean that they can't come up positive in two days based on their Cardinals interactions? The problem, too, is, is this. Baseball left the umpiring crew that worked the two-game uh, Twin Cardinal series in town for the Cleveland Twins series. Guess who is exposed fairly closely, probably, to Cardinals players? Yeah, the home, home plate umpire guys. The home plate umpire, exactly They're, right. So they probably rotate. I just got... I mean, how can you not err on the side at least for a day or two across the board, Phil, of caution. Like how it just seems to me if you tell the twins in Cleveland, ah, nah, it's probably fine. I mean that that was the whole whole philosophy that the Marlins operated on Sunday when they played the Phillies, right? Well, it's probably fine. Like like how do you not take the lesson of the Marlins from Sunday if you're baseball and now say we're going to be extra cautious, and at least for today, we're not going to have the Twins play uh, Cleveland. And then guess what? New rule on Saturday. If you want to come back and play a double dip, seven innings apiece, or yeah. Sunday. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. What, I would just be cautious. I don't know. I mean, I know it sounds, it's not ideal, but it's 2020. Yeah. 
Dex, let's let's all uh, let's get Pat on here. We'll just keep rolling here, and we'll 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 wrap with Roycey before Action Movie Rewind, and then we'll give ourselves some runway for Action Movie Rewind. Very excited about this, by the way. But first, let's let's talk about Federated here. Um, you know, this as we've been talking about, there's so much uncertainty for sure in baseball and for really any business out there right now. The level of uncertainty is unprecedented across the board. And so if you're a Minnesota business owner and you're looking for some extra peace of mind, the backing of Federated Insurance is very helpful. They've been around for over 100 years in the state of Minnesota based in Owatonna, and uh, and they have provided a ton of great resources for business owners over the past few months, whether it's written pandemic policies or whether it is uh, HR communications. Things are changing on a daily, weekly basis Visit federatedinsurance.com to find out more about these resources and to find out about your local representative. Remember, at Federated Mutual Insurance Company, it's our business to protect yours. Dennis Kirk also yes, a partner here. Yes, a quick here. thank you to Dennis Kirk for supporting Score North and Mackie and Judd. It's a little crazy out there, but one thing you can do is get out and ride, and Dennis Kirk will make sure your motorcycle is running and looking its best. DennisKirk.com is a Minnesota-based worldwide retailer of parts, accessories, and apparel for avid bikers of all kinds. Whether you ride a Harley, cruiser, sports bike, dirt bike, or any type of motorcycle they have, but you need over 160,000 products in stock and ready to ship today, DennisKirk.com not only offers a huge in-stock selection, but also guaranteed best prices, fast same-day shipping, and a satisfaction guarantee. They truly are the best in the business. Order by 8 p.m. and get it tomorrow. $89 order ship free, and they pay return shipping on helmet and apparel products, DennisKirk.com. Order today. Get it tomorrow. And you won't be over here using my belt for, like, illegal means, would you? Bookmakers and illegal activity, you know. You also would not know that uh, Richie owns this place and that he sells narcotics here because he's a f- puke and he likes to pervert kids and stuff, huh? Drugs. Nobody uses drugs around here. Yeah. You don't know nothing, do you? Anybody see Richie? Welcome to the party, pal. Action Movie Reviews with Mackie, Judd, and Rami. Get to the chopper! Yippee-ki-yay, mother... You don't think you're going to arrest me, huh? You're going to arrest me? I'm out of bullets! <laughs> That's a shame, because those bullets could have saved you a lot of pain. Yeah, I like pain, you know. <laughs> Action Movie Rewind. Thank you to all of you listeners who have made every Friday the most downloaded episode of Mackie and Judd. And it's either a coincidence, it's Judd's Friday Takes, or it's Action Movie Rewind, or some combination of all of them. And uh, this was Judd's Choice. This is the second time we've gone into a classic Steven Seagal film here. Both my choices. In the first 18 episodes of Action Movie Rewind, Out for Justice, Mm. 1991. Mm. And ordinarily, so we start these episodes with the summary of the movie, as found on the internet, some other facts about the movie, and then our favorite and least favorite parts. And the summary oftentimes, like especially with Casino Royale last week, Judd's first Bond movie ever, the plot is sort of convoluted in some ways. And, you know, it's like a seven or eight sentence, like two paragraph summary. This is the summary for Out for Justice. (laughs) Steven Seagal plays a renegade cop, Gino Fellino, who returns to his violence plagued home neighborhood in Brooklyn to get revenge upon the crime lord responsible for his partner's death. That's the summary. <laughs> That's right. It's a very simple plot, and Steven Seagal spends 90 minutes out for justice. You know what, Cool Breeze? What's that? One of these days, your wise mouth is going to get the rest of your body in a whole lot of trouble. Where are you from, Finoke? 
Very difficult to find appropriate clips from this movie. What a classic film. This is this is right in the middle of Steven Seagal's peak. This is like his fourth ever movie, and he comes out of the gate hot in the late 80s with just like blockbuster action movies. Hard to kill, yep. Yep. And uh, and so this movie, Out for Justice, generated 23% positive reviews on Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> Not very well rated I by those the, people. the critics. It was a $14 million budget turned into $40 million at the box office, and it starred Steven Seagal. William Forsyth, who's also in The Rock. This is the second villainous appearance by William Forsyth. Who's in, play- the in The Rock? He played Richie in uh, in this movie. Yeah, in this movie. And then yeah. he played, like, he had a mustache and looked basically the same, and he played a different character okay. in The Rock. Yep. Uh, Gina Gershon and the dad from Dirty Dancing was in this movie. Jerry Orbach. Well. Yeah. Lenny Briscoe. Yes, he was. So let's start Playing with Judd. Your favorite part of Out for Justice. Okay. Well, we played it, and it has long been. Well, one of my go-to lines in life, and I absolutely so the scenes in the bar are fantastic, oh, yeah. right? But play the scene again when he walks in and says, "Anybody seen Richie?" Hey, you won't be over here using my belt for like illegal means, would you? Bookmakers and illegal activity, you know. You also would not know that uh, Richie owns this place and that he sells narcotics here because he's a f- puke and he likes to pervert kids and stuff, right? Huh? Drugs. Nobody uses drugs around here. Yeah. You don't know nothing, do you? Anybody see Richie? <laughs> Anybody know who whacked Bobby Louie? Whacked Bobby Lupo? Okay, that scene. Now, 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 what makes that whole scene so complete is not the fight scenes or, or Seagal kicking ass. It's this. Did you guys pick up on? It sounds like they cut some type of track of people yelling. Oh, at yeah. Gino's character, but it didn't sound. It wasn't people in the bar, right? So he walks in, goes, "Anybody seen Richie?" And you hear this, this like distant "F you, F you asshole!" Yeah, yeah. just yeah. from. But it's like it's like they cut it in a in a room of some sort and then played it as background. Um, this is just so in the wheelhouse <laughs> of everything I want from these films because it's so magnificently in some ways stupid but glorious. This movie ha- this movie was like a combination of like martial arts and roadhouse. All sort of it was tied Roadhouse into one. and Brooklyn as the setting instead of wherever they were at Roadhouse. It, it was it was Roadhouse in some ways. Definitely Commando, including de- down to the bad guy. The out of shape fat was completely guy. out of shape and going to get his ass kicked, uh, and, and it had a little bit too of the feeling of the first film that we did that you like so, so Blood much. Sport. The martial arts, yeah, Bloodsport. Yeah. Okay, oh, yeah. it was like all of those three sort of combined, but it did have that commando, the bad guy. A lot of toxic masculinity in this. Yeah, story. yeah. But I just, I would you give me a beer? Screw you! <laughs> oh, and the accents, <laughs> the accents are great. But I just love the fact that that. Forsyth's character 
is just this fact. Like, you yes. know he's got no chance. God. I, see so you anyway. still, I see you still cut your hair like a girl, Gino. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's like toxic masculinity oh, yeah. everywhere. Anyway, I love the bar scenes. And anybody seen Richie? Anyone know I whack Bobby Lupo? I love it's that. It's also hilarious that the, th- the three main characters were Gino, Bobby, and Richie. Yeah. Yep. Gino, Bobby, Richie. Gino, Bobby, Richie. Bobby right. Lupo gets shot so quick. <laughs> too. The pace of the film was fantastic. Uh, and we will do a deep dive into that scene, too. But Declan, what was your favorite part of uh, for Justice? Uh, just the way Seagal treats people. Like, <laughs> in, in the bar scene where, where, he's, where he said, where's Richie? And he also just takes the cue ball in the sock and just starts <laughs> whipping people with it. And then also when he goes to the strip club and he talks to that stripper and she figures out that, like, the the gal her gal fr- her other prostitute friend or whatever was also like banging the same guy and he's like oh so you were you were sleeping with the same guy and she goes to hit him and he just goes eh don't be like that <laughs> like just the way just the way he acts and treats people and the whole movie was a delight yeah. there's also a scene I can't remember because he he goes into so many different establishments looking for Richie like the right. half the movie is him just like going into places yeah. looking for Richie then kicking everyone's ass and there's a guy behind oh. the counter at one of these it was like some restaurant or store or whatever it was. And the the older guy behind the counter pulls a gun and he's and he's like oh, yeah. ready That's to early. shoot him. And he's and it's not like close range. Seagal, about to be shot from probably twenty feet away, casually walks over, reaches out, takes the gun from his hand, empties the bullets, and then just like walks out. You don't want to do that. You don't want to do that. Yeah. You don't want to do, do that. You don't want to do that. Come on. <laughs> And he sort of like starts to break the guy's arm. It's just oh, I, love it. I mean, it is like all right, so I have I'll give you my favorite part, and then I want to give you a take that you can riff off of here, okay? Okay. So um, my favorite part of the movie was probably the Polaroid sex pics of Bobby and the two gals and how often they were referred to, how often they were shown. They got dropped on Bobby. They got dropped on Bobby after he got killed at the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm just wondering, like, was it a common practice back in the 80s and early 90s? To, like now, you know what? If you want to take selfies, like we see all the time, like people, you know, take selfies of themselves, and like Julian Edelman winds up on the internet, right? It's very easy with your phone. Yes, not as easy with a Polaroid camera. No, and these pictures were not selfies with a Polaroid. It wasn't like no. you could see, uh, you know, you could see uh, the gal's arm, you know, as they're both laying in bed together. It was like. They were both in the middle of an act yep. with one of the gals, mm-hmm. and they're both like looking sideways, smiling at the camera, and somebody else is clearly taking the picture God, with a Polaroid. And she's got the great hair. <laughs> yeah. She has the great 80s yeah. uh, hair. Po- yeah, poofed yeah. up Wait, hair. When you're looking at that photo, her hair is what when you yeah. locked in on? <laughs> well, she's purposely obscuring, and I don't know why, some key parts, but the hair is great. Oh, it's that God. big hockey sort of hair. Oh my God. Yeah, that's that was one thing I noticed in okay. those photos. Yeah. yeah, she definitely had really, really big hair. hair. Oh yeah. no, she did not. <laughs> she had large hair, no question about it. But here's all right. So transition oh, into so into least favorite part of this movie. I'll just throw it out there. Okay, this is classic Seagal. It's all the one liners. It's him just dusting like fifteen bad guys at once. Every place he goes into, yeah, he looks the same in every movie back then. He's got the ponytail with the jeans, and he's just cal- oh, yeah. he's just calmly walking around. The character doesn't change. Trying people, yeah. It's just it's a vintage Seagal movie. But I don't think this movie is in the same stratosphere as Hard to Kill. Like once you've seen Hard to Kill, yeah, I'm sorry, Out for Justice came out like two years after Hard to Kill, and it's yeah, they're trying to recreate Hard to Kill multiple times because it's the formula. And uh, I don't mean to buzz like this is a great movie to review, and I thoroughly enjoyed this for what it was. But like Hard to Kill's plot is very gripping. 
He spends seven years in a coma. Yes. He re- he wakes up, returns himself physically to be a lethal weapon, and then goes on a revenge spree against the corrupt senator's henchmen that put him in the coma. Yes. It's just it's a revenge tour after seven years in a coma. Yes. This plot was fine, but it's like, all right, it's a psychotic bad guy who's going on a jealous rage killing spree. And you don't really get a ton of like the why. So he's he's on drugs and he's mad. And so he's gonna kill everybody and <laughs> By th- it wasn't as gripping as hard to kill, so I will say. By that. this point in the Seagal catalog, I don't think we needed, or he especially needed a why. Seagal was action movie porn. It was like yes. here's a little bit of a like I think hard convoluted to, plot. I think hard to kill was more of uh, well, we got to have something here, right? There's got to be some yeah, some, some there there. Uh, I feel like by out for justice, this was uh, let's get this out as quick as possible, and let's let Stephen be Stephen. And we really don't care. Sure. That's fair. That's and fair. we don't care. But would you guys agree with my assessment now that we've seen Hard to Kill and Out for Justice? It's not, oh, yeah. I think Hard to Kill is like, and we'll get to the ratings at the end of the episode here, but I think Hard to Kill is on a totally different level than Out for Justice. This was, this was as far as, to use your phrase, um, Seagal porn goes, this was a ton of fun. Mm-hmm. It's absolute crap, but that's what yeah. makes it so great. Right. Like, I was sitting there, and plus, here's the thing I absolutely loved. I love the fact the pace of film was so quick. Like, they knew they were producing crap. There's a, it's bubblegum. And we'll get and to we'll a get blurb to about it. that, yes. too. But, but they knew, the studio clearly knew this is violent bubblegum. Yeah. Hey, mm-hmm. hey, Richie. Nah, yeah. we don't need any more I lines I mean, Bobby here. Lupo Just... gets killed almost instantly. Yeah. The, the first scene is, hey, Bobby, is something, something wrong? I notice you're not the same. And the next thing, Bobby's getting lit up by R- Richie with eight bullets, right? In fact, uh, that's worth a deep dive on its own, I think. Let's let's just start with the first ten minutes of this movie. Yes. <laughs> the first ten minutes of this movie. Can I give you one movie. thing quick, though? Yeah, yeah. Okay. The one thing about this film and the fact that it was Seagal porn that made it so fantastic was Bobby gets shot. Seagal is about to go play catch with... With his son, and he's clearly estranged from his wife at that point. Did you finish your homework? No, he's he's wearing a baseball glove. That's a kid's glove. Like his hand <laughs> is is halfway out the glove. Please. And then and then he shows up at the crime scene. Orbach's character is, is like, oh man, I don't know. You know that this is going to be tough to see. Of course, of course. Uh, Seagal goes and looks, and the next thing I think he says to Orbach, who's his boss character, is. All I need is an ungun, yes, unmarked car, yes. and a shotgun. A shotgun. Like and that's gonna, like, that's yes. the police. Is that the yes. police credo? All I need to solve this crime, yes. you know, don't get me help. I don't need backup. Um, the force can stay home, as far as I'm concerned. I need two things: an unmarked and a shotgun. Yes. And Orbach's character, with, without like being like, oh, I, I don't, don't know. know, it's against policy. Yeah. He's like, sure. <laughs> <laughs> Citywide out. Every available officer. We got ALs at the tolls, airports, trains, buses. Ronnie, Ronnie, this guy ain't gonna run. He'll sneak and he'll hide, but he ain't gonna leave Brooklyn. Now look, I'll feed you every dope digging dive he's got. But let me do it my way. Just give me an unmarked and a shotgun, right? <laughs> Give me an unmarked car while wearing like a deep V-neck shirt. He's a cop with a beret. But, but here's the hilarious part: like this is laughable, this is cartoonish. Oh. It's 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 toxic masculinity, and pretty much the same thing happened in Portland last week in 2020 America. Just yeah. like just give me like an yeah. unmarked car and a and some sort of high powered gun and a vest, and we'll just we'll take care of the situation. So so like so that's the that is the culmination oh. of the first ten minutes of the movie. But I think it's worth doing a trip through those first ten minutes leading up to that line. Of course. So I just took notes on the first ten minutes because it was glorious. 
So after being, so he, it starts with Gino and Bobby, his partner Bobby, seeing a pimp assaulting his prostitutes. Yeah. And um, and so they see, they're sitting in their car and they're kind of like, when should we intervene? Okay, now he's hitting them. Okay, let's, we'll get out. We'll take care of this. And by the way, they had known the, because Gino and Bobby were childhood friends. I believe the pimp, they also knew from like yeah. being in the same community. Yes. They knew Richie going back. They knew all, everybody. They all I went to school wife. together. I knew where you live. Right. Yes. <laughs> so after being detained, yeah, the, the pimp threatens to have relations with Gino's wife. Yes. He said it differently than that. <laughs> and so Gino then throws him through a car window as sort of retribution for making the comment of his wife. I know where you're going. Wife. I know where you're going with this. I love this. So, uh, well, I, that, I was going to leave that part right there and get to the Richie part, but where were you going with No, it? they introduced the film, so he throws the pimp through through the windshield of the car. The guy goes through, and his head breaks the, the glass. windshield yeah. glass. And then they do the early 90s freeze. They show Seagal's face oh, right. looking at the pimp, and then they flash and out freeze for out for justice. <laughs> I mean, so great. That, that's just a, that's such a great primer that we are about to it start is. a classic film. And then shortly after this, you get right into the plot. You get right into this bad guy, drug addict, rage-filled Richie. He comes walking up in the middle of the – it's broad daylight. There's people everywhere, yeah. and he walks up and just blows this dude away <laughs> – in the middle of Brooklyn, so he shoots him three times, and he's not dead yet. He's on the ground just bleeding out. Yep. Shoots him three times, spits on his dying body, yep. puts a Polaroid of Bobby cheating on uh, Richie. Actually, it was Richie's girlfriend, girlfriend yes. that Bobby was sleeping with in the Polaroid. Yes. Puts that on his body and then shoots him again. <laughs> with his wife and kids watching in the store. Yes. In the yes. market, in the bedangle. And then, and then, all right, so this is all, like, in the first five or six minutes. So then, so now Richie's trying to just get away from the scene, and his cronies are like, like, okay, like, we're, we're going. So they're in their vehicle. There's a woman, a random driver woman, who's honking at Richie and his cronies to get out of the way. They're blocking the intersection. And so Richie does what all of us have thought about doing in our cars before, which is, I'm going to go... Show that person a lesson, but really I'm just like listening to the Backstreet Boys on my radio and I'm going to keep the volume down, right? Right. This dude gets out of his vehicle, Richie, walks up to this driver, this woman, doesn't confront her and like, what'd you say to me? No. Or like, pound on her hood. No. No. He pulls her out by the hair and shoots her point blank in the head and they show it in this movie. Yes. Because he's crazy. He's drug fueled. It's unbelievable. He's absolutely crazy. It's awesome. Uh, this Richie's m- not going to take any. And, and two, th- that character is great because he spends the entire film walking around Brooklyn wielding his gun. Yes. yes. Like, I don't think he puts it away. No, he no. doesn't. In fact, according to Wikipedia, the description, just summing up who Richie is, Richie is a crack addict who grew up with Gino and Bobby. He has become psychotic and homicidal due to rage and drug use and seems not to care about the consequences of his actions. You think? Same. And that's the start of this movie. Just unbelievable. And I should mention, too, this movie, because of all the things we're talking about here, like the just the ridiculous violence and some of the stuff they show that we haven't even talked about yet, this movie originally was rated NC-17. It was rated oh, wow. above R when yep. it came out. Yep. And in some of the releases to other countries and, and some of the releases like in VHS, they actually cut out two or three minutes of 
the heavy, heavy violent stuff. It didn't bother me. I think I saw the heavy violence last night on the YouTube version I saw. Yeah, I, don't know I about did you too. Guys, that's, but what like, I, that's how I watched All it. of it was, like, they sh- like that gal getting shot in the head yeah, and yeah. She yeah. Falls was, on the she was shown in the movie. Yeah, so. well, yeah, he's Anyways. not going to take crap. So what else stood out to you guys? Declan, you want to go next? Just, I, I, his whole, Richie and his entourage are the most, like, Unappealing and no, could not be able to do what they were able to do. You couldn't hang with them. No, well, not that I, I, well, yes, I could not hang with them. Like, could you spend, could you spend a couple hours hanging out with those guys watching a football game? Absolutely not. <laughs> no, and the fact they were able to like just walk around broad daylight shooting people and killing people was absurd. And then Richie, this like fat, overweight, just like this like Bennett and Commando, like yeah, he, he has no that, business sure. no. being the main yeah. antagonist of this film. Like it, it's essentially just Seagal running around trying to find the guy, and I, I just did not vibe well, and I didn't connect well with the antagonist roles. Like, it was just, and like, they're having, like, a orgy party at the end of the movie. Like, it's just, it's yes. a weird thing, man. It was weird. That part was so bad, though. It That crew was so bad, they were good. Which, the... The, the bad crew. Okay. Yeah. And, and like, like, from an fa- acting yes, perspective? Yes, and the fact that, that Richie was this out-of-shape... You know, commando, same exact thing, made it so funny because you knew in the ultimate scene, again, how were they going to even make this look like, you know what? Richie's crazy. He's got a chance here. You never said to yourself, you know, they're going to duke this thing. And you knew, by the way, that they were going to, of course, in typical fashion, you know, not not have the end be brief and clean. And, yeah. and the bad guy was just going to get shot. You knew that this was going to be some type of fight. And you never thought to yourself, I, I think Richie's got a chance. No, he. No. I think Richie's got a fighting chance here. No, the only way he would have had a chance is if he did have bullets in his gun or something, or if he had like a <laughs> knife. But then he picked, at one point he did pick up a weapon in their final fight. But yeah, the fi- the final fight scene. Um, let's see here. Gino stabs. What did I write down? Oh yeah, Gino stabs Richie the in the face with like of, a corkscrew. A corkscrew, like a <laughs> yeah. Opener, right? Yeah, exactly and, and right. Then, and then he From grabs the a gun. Yeah, and then he grabs a gun and shoots Richie's lifeless body a few times just for good measure. No, he he does that. He does that with the with the mafia guy's gun to make it look like the mafia killed him. Oh, that's what it was. That, I thought he was. That's just, what I said. Okay, you did the right thing. You Got did the it. right thing because he's like because <laughs> Gino's supposed to be the sort of fringe mafioso guy. Who is a cop? Sure, but he knows all the mobsters, and and it's like the mobsters. So th- the whole film is basically Gino and the mobsters separately racing to get to Richie to kill him first. Right. Mm-hmm. What are the five words you guys would use to describe Richie if somebody asked you, like, "Hey, uh, yeah, that guy Richie. What what's that guy Richie all about? Mm. What what are the five words you would use to describe Richie? Diabetic would be one. <laughs> so, it looks so like a di- 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 So we go fat or just I, diabetic? I, I wrote down fat was the first Oh, word definitely I, fat. Okay. Foresight, foresight was definitely fat at the time. You know, I, I would say a mur- murderous. Yes. Murderous is probably yeah, a, inse- a crazy, insane. You know, a little insecure. Sure. A little insecure. Well, yeah, because he's from the hood and he's not respected. Pedophile. <laughs> he was a pedophile. Did we see examples Were there of kids? that? There was that moment where he, towards the end of the movie, where he goes over to the gal and he's like, oh, I'll take care of you. Take care of Richie. But then, like, her little sister is there and he, like, puts his arm around her. And then that's when he, like, tries. She, right. like, she, like, comes in. Oh, and was like, she little? Go away. Yes, she was, like, I definitely even, a teenager. By that point, yeah, yes, I, Jeffrey Epstein. Yeah, yeah, yeah but by that point, I might tune I just wasn't that, that concerned about oh, that by the time. told me she was 18. What are you talking narcissist? about? Narcissist? Uh, narcissist. He's mis- definitely a narcissist. Yeah, misogynist. Mas- oh, well, yes, you are correct, Phil. That whole film was basically uh, was based on on macho. Yeah, it's it's just just toxic masculinity. Yeah. 
Just a lot of guys trying to overcompensate for their insecurities. That's that's the the plot. The line. one the one thing that I will give Seagal films that I think that they did better than anybody else at that time was did anybody else use better sound effects of breaking bones? Oh, you're like right. every time he breaks a leg or arm, you hear it. Yeah, it's and it's and it's and it's not just like a quick snap. No. It's like a bone getting crushed by some sort of I don't know, like like a massive boulder rolling yes, over sir. it or something. Yes. Uh, I wrote down my favorite line from the movie. It was a lot of Seagull lines in here. Just a lot of trash talking. He's a great trash talker, right? So He's not swearing. just going to, you know, you watch like the Bourne movies and the Bourne identity and stuff. And Bourne just kind of goes about silently yep. making his kills. Mm-hmm. Bond has some personality. But Steven Seagal is there to trash talk you first and foremost and <laughs> then kill you confidently. So he walks into the bar full of goons looking for Richie. Uh, he takes the bullets out of his gun in the middle of, like, 15 goons and says, bring it on. Mm-hmm. And and he disposes of all these people. He just he, they, they all come at him one by one, and he just kicks everyone's ass, knocks some teeth out of one guy on the pool table. And then he leans over. I think it was to Richie's brother, I'm guessing. And the quote was, tell your brother I'm going to cut his head off and piss down his throat. Yeah. Yep. Th- that's that was just definitely a, in there. That is, that is a, a great line. an amazing trash talk line. Good for you. In an early and the 90s poor action brother, movie. the poor brother got his nose broken by one crew. Yeah. A separate crew came in. That brother, yeah, for for being got- picked to run the bar, that was not worth it, man. That guy took a beating, and he was a wimp, and he didn't do anything as, as his brother came back and said he didn't do a thing about. It. You don't let Gino do that to you. Richie yeah. lifted him by the cojones. Did you remember that yeah. part? He like lifted him up in the air because he didn't think that he had displayed God. the proper cojones. Mm. What did you guys think of the end of the movie? So he sees the station wagon Funny. that earlier yeah. in the movie, the station wagon that dropped that poor puppy off in the garbage bag. Oh, yeah. Circle. And he basically- Actually, you know what? My least favorite part of this entire film, and I've got it written down right here, is who, for the most part, takes care of the dog? Because the dog gets dropped <laughs> off in the bag by the guy early on. Well, how much time? And Gino finds it and sticks it in his car. And then you see the dog occasionally. But there's like long stretches of time where I'm curious, who's taking care of the dog? Well, I think my follow-up to that would be, do we have any idea or any concept of how much time passed in this movie? Like, like, it, like, like, did, like did No. It, like, did it take place over two days, a month? I, th- no, I feel like I, it was just one night. One I think it was day. very quick. Yes. Yeah. I think it, I think it was very quick. Okay, so the dog was just... It wasn't like the dog but was... But, like, did the dog just sit in the car the whole time in Brooklyn when he wasn't... I thought he... When he buys it food, you know, he's like, I need some dog. Right, so did he go food? home yeah, then? I got puppy food, and I thought he, I thought he dropped it. puppy food's right yeah. here. <laughs> <laughs> he needs some of this, too. <laughs> yeah. I thought he drops it off with his, you know, his wife. No, in- no, no. He... No. In, in fact, when, when he goes inside to his wife's house... And and Richie's crew comes in and shoots up the house. That's right. The dog's okay. back in the car. Okay. No, this dog is like driving. Because I'm an animal lover. I love animals. <laughs> no, no. The poor dog sitting in the car, and and they come in and try and kill the wife, his kid, and Gino. Yeah. And then of course you get the ultimate double comeuppance. Uh, the guy who initially threw the dog out the window at the end, Seagal kicks him in the seeds. And then he falls to the ground in pain. And then the dog walks over and pees on the guy's head. Yeah. And then right. they all walk That's away. A police dog. <laughs> Is that a police dog or what? Um, from Wikipedia. Can we get to the from Wikipedia yes, section here? Yes, some great stuff. All right. Yes, this is good. Director John Flynn. This was, I think, the peak of John Flynn's movie directing career. Just taking a glance at his Wikipedia pages as well. 
So this is from director John Flynn. I really liked working with Bill Forsyth, who was Richie, and Jerry Orbach, who was the dad from Dirty Dancing. Dirty Dancing. And all those guys in the car who played the killers, all those guys were great to work with. But I didn't get along with Steven Seagal. He was always about an hour late for work and caused a lot of delays. Also, Steven Seagal was upset that Richie was getting too much camera time and too many lines. This is my favorite part. And Mm -hmm. so just to sum it up, this was originally going to be like a two-hour-plus movie. This is going to be a movie with more plot and dialogue and everything. And Steven Seagal eventually said, listen, I'm the star of this movie. I can't have Richie slash Bill Forsyth getting all these lines. So they cut it to a 90-minute movie from like two hours. He cut out Forsyth's parts. Yes, and he they helped cut them out. They had all these different parts, and you'll see there's there's two different montages in the movie where it's not your classic like Rocky montage where they're cutting to fight scenes and stuff. Right. There are montages of dialogue scenes where you're wondering, like, what are they saying? Like, there's one scene where they're just, like, in a cop car talking to each other, but there's music playing over it, and they're trying to move the movie along. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so they, they they filmed and they edited, like, a two-hour movie, and then at the, at the end of all of it, Seagal was like, no, give me the tape. I'm going to cut 30 minutes of, of Richie out. Also, whilst on the production set, Steven Seagal, this is the best one, Steven Seagal claimed that due to his Aikido training, he was immune to being choked unconscious. Hmm. So Steven Seagal said, hey, I'm a master technician yes. in martial arts. <laughs> yes. Nobody can choke me unconscious. Correct. I'm immune to being choked unconscious. Has prided himself for a long time on his abilities in this area. Yep. It has been alleged that at some time... Gene LaBelle, who was a stunt coordinator for the movie, heard about the claim and gave Seagal the opportunity to prove it. LaBelle is said to have placed his arms around Seagal's neck and once Seagal said go, proceeded to choke him unconscious. After refusing to comment for many years, LaBelle confirmed the story in 2012. Whenever Seagal has been asked about the incident, he has constantly denied the allegations that he was choked out. Okay, how great is that? How great is that whole thing? I, I love the you fact that out. Seagal was a complete a-hole mm-hmm. in real life. And, and in fact, there's a story, I think, about one time he hosted SNL, and he is like the most despised person to ever host that show. <laughs> Everyone on the show hated his guts. Because he didn't want to do anything self-deprecating, probably? Well, probably or? that. And he, But he, here's, here's the thing is, Steven Seagal doesn't get the fact that he's funny because he really can't act. Like, he thinks he can act. And so he thinks that he's good. I mean, what makes him so good is he's not good at all. Like, yeah, it's I, all I, a shtick. It, it, he's one character, and and it's hilarious, but he actually thinks he's good, or he did. So let's let's play a little game here called If You Were to Replace This Action Star in This Movie with Steven Seagal, what would the movie have been like? Okay. I'm just going to throw some random ones out. Okay. Die Hard. Let's say you replaced Bruce Willis with Steven Seagal. How would, how would Die Hard have turned out? If, I think my answer would be instead of kind of like laying in the weeds and waiting for the killers and the bad guys to come to him and then systematically going through them, I think Steven Correct. Seagal would have just walked around the building and killed everybody, and the yes. movie would have been over in an hour. Yes. <laughs> it would have been funnier as far as, as, as being campy and bad. Yeah. Like, that's a really good film. That's a fun film. Um, but, yeah, if he had been the main guy, and, and the other thing, though, that he could never stand, and this is true, is he could not be upstaged. Yeah. So the problem is, Die Hard had a lot of good actors. Yeah. He couldn't have. Ta- he couldn't have taken that. He's also like he, He's never that. on most action movies, all, including all of all or most of the Sylvester Stallone action movies and uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger. 
the star is on the defensive for a large part of the movie, right? Not Seagal. Like, so, I mean, think about Sylvester Stallone <laughs> in right. Rocky movies. He's literally on the defensive for the entire movie until the end. Yes. Or even in in Rambo, like he's he's kind of hiding out, and then he's he's playing cat and mouse. Yep. Uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger is a little bit more on the offensive, but Steven Seagal is never like, oh, I'm in a I'm in a rough way here. The, the beginning of some of his movies, he is so that it can set up the comeback, but. He's just like hunting people and killing them with no resistance. Arnold, Arnold, you feel like when you watch his films that he sort of gets it, yeah. like the shtick to it. What I love about Seagal, he has no idea. Like he doesn't get it <laughs> He's at not all. In on his own joke. No, he yeah. thinks he thinks I'm doing the Lord's work here in action films, yeah. and it's like that's what makes you so great. Yeah, man. Like he sees he sees uh, Out for Justice come across and thinks like that. Is an Academy Award. That's what he thinks. Absolutely right. Yeah, absolutely this right. This movie, by the way, was was not the winner of any Academy Awards. I, I went and checked just to Dang be it. certain. Um, uh, before we get to definitive bad guy rankings and overall rankings, oh, wait, wait, wait. anything else that stands out? Yes, yes, yes. The <laughs> ultimate Seagal. So this is in, in the big picture of things in Out for Justice, a small thing, okay? But this is what makes Seagal so good, and it's what I love about his craft and how bad he truly is, but didn't get it. He wrote. I'm sure it's him. He wrote in a scene for himself where he's telling his wife about how Richie's dad, Mr. Madano, I believe, had helped raise him and had given him some some uh, cash at times to go to, to the amusement park because his own dad abandoned him. And his own dad came around, but he didn't know for a long time that that was his dad. And then he started to deduct it and figure it out. And that's the scene that ends with, and you know what I did for him tonight? I arrested him, Mr. Madonna. I arrested him. I mean, this is literally this guy has written in a scene so that we can realize how great he is with dialogue. A thespian. And the only place his dialogue is good are the classic, anybody seen Richie? Anybody know why Richie yeah. whacked Bobby Lupo? Or the five seconds before he kills somebody. Yes, like, but think about that. Was. He actually had a scene written in. Explaining his relationship with Richie's father yeah. and how that man had helped him. And and if you look at Seagal's face, like he really thinks I'm selling this. Yeah. He's he's all he's he thinks he's a thespian. I'm doubled over on my couch laughing. I love it so much. Yeah. Anyway. Who, who was your guys? There's not that many options here for this one, but who was your favorite character in the movie? Outside of Seagal? I mean, there wasn't I mean, there's not that many options. It's like yeah. it's like Richie or Gino. The poor guy in the wheelchair who Richie decides to whack, and I don't know why. I wouldn't tell on you, Richie. No. I'm going to end your pain. <laughs> and then he just whacks him. I kind of like the police chief who just allowed Steve Orbach? to go. Yeah. Jerry Orbach's crazy. Just, yeah, just the dad from Dirty Dancing. Yeah. To I'm going to go with the dad from Dirty Dancing, too. Law and order, man. But that's his day job. An, unmar- an unmarked car and a shotgun and a shot is shot all gun. I need to solve this crime. <laughs> I like to envision. You think cops are a problem now? I like to envision, like, when you see Reginald Vell Johnson as a as a cop in different movies, I like to envision that they're playing, this is like a glimpse into their life as the character from the other thing. Like, that's Carl Winslow, and he's just at work on a Saturday night responding to a crisis, right? That, that, like, this dude, yeah, this dude comes to uh, comes to his job, <laughs> check out a, a crime scene, but, man, he's really stressed out at home because his daughter's been shacking up with the dance teacher guy from Dirty Dancing. Like, uh, definitive bad guy rankings, all right? So here are the rankings to this point. It's Bennett. Well, let's yeah, let's go it's to the rankings. It's the same guy. So number one is Hans Gruber from Die Hard. Number two yeah. is Cyrus the Virus from Con Air. Number three is Brad Wesley from Roadhouse. Number four is Mr. Joshua from Lethal Weapon. 
Number five is Ivan Drago from Rocky Four. Then we have Dennis Hopper from Speed, the rogue CIA agent James Monroe from The Expendables, angry terrorist Ivan from Air Force One, the corrupt senator from Hard to Kill, the aliens in Independence Day, Le Chief from Casino Royale, Chong Lee from Bloodsport, Bennett from Commando, Bodie from Point Break, General Hummel from The Rock, Sloan from Wanted, and then the incompetent Russian military is last in Rambo 3. So uh, so if we're going to put him near Bennett, right? Bennett, who's Fat Freddie Mercury in Commando, <laughs> would you put him above or below Bennett? Above. I, I liked him more because he, he had a bigger role. Um, so the character was probably more fun. Yeah. But, I mean, just as far as believability of bad guy, and I'm not saying a fat person can't be a bad person because that certainly could be the case. Uh, but just as far as, like, the antagonist and, you know, at the end of the film it's going to be Seagal versus this yeah. guy, I'd put him above Bennett, but it's got to be around the same, I, I mean, think. The, the, you could say the top five villains on our list, they're all iconic in some way. Hans Gruber, Ivan right. Drago, like, they're all very iconic. Richie is not iconic. Bennett's not iconic. They're no. just random dudes. What would Seagal, if Seagal had been in Die Hard and, and, the, final, and the final product comes out, for them to see first, right? What would Seagal have tried to do to the Hans Gruber character to not be upstage completely? Because he clearly, I mean, in this film, he clearly had them go cut foresight yeah. scenes because he was really good. And went to work because he's just a good actor. Because when you think of Die Hard, like, I think Hans Gruber is, is on an equal level in terms of screen time. And when you, think, when you start to rank the characters in that movie, like Hans Gruber is the greatest action movie villain ever. <laughs> And Steven Seagal would never have allowed that. No. Right? No, hell no. No. So, uh, all right, so I'm putting him just above Bennett and below Chong Lee from Bloodsports. He's kind of in that in that bottom third for us. And that brings us to the 1 through 10 Seagal rating system here. The top five action movies that we have reviewed to this point based on our composite average score. Die Hard, Commando, The Expendables, Roadhouse, and Hard to Kill. All 8.5 to 10. And then the last five are The Rock, Air Force One, Rambo 3, Wanted, and Bloodsport is right. at the bottom here. So mm-hmm. we'll start with Joe. What's your 1 through 10 Seagal ranking here? All right. I'm going to give this because this in many ways lives up to what I want. But I agree with your assessment that this is not hard to kill. I'm going to give this an 8. Okay. Because it's it's so bad it is good. But hard to kill is bad and better. So this can't get a 10, but I'm going to give this an 8, Declan. Dex? I would give it a 7. It, it definitely fits our mold of cheesy action movies. There's blood, there's violence, there's one-liners. Uh, there's, there's a messy plot, too, that's involved. So I would give it a solid 7 out of 10. All right, I'm going to buzzkill this a little bit. I just, I just can't put it anywhere near hard to kill. It's not hard to kill. So I'm giving it a 5. Okay. Which brings our average composites, an enjoyable five, I will say. Yeah. Enjoyable yeah, five. Yeah, yeah. It lived up to what it's supposed to do. Yep, exactly. It's not 90 minutes of my life that I want to give back. Let's put it that way. Well, and the key is it was short. Yep. And by giving it a, a, a composite 6.7 score, it puts yep. it rightfully below speed. I, I could not in okay. good conscience. I had problems with speed. You did. You can't put speed below out for justice. Hey, man, chips have to fall where they may. <laughs> Anybody seen Richie? Anybody seen Keanu? Oh, so good. So um, next week's Action Movie Rewind, it's my turn, turn. To, to choose here, right? Yes, yes sir. sir. So um, I'm kind of going back and forth. There's there's one from the 90s that is a no-brainer that we should do at some point, but then I looked at the runtime, and it's two hours and 20 minutes. Mm. I won't even tell you what movie it is, but 
We'll go back to that one at some point. Right, I, I don't okay. think we need a two-hour, 20-minute marathon here. So 1991 was out for justice. I figure it's kind of fun to bounce around different eras and sometimes go old-school 80s and 90s. There's a, there's a wheelhouse. Sure. We're going to fast-forward 10 years to 2001, gentlemen. Okay. The first in a long line, The Fast and the Furious. Oh, yeah! Oh, never the seen one. Fast in the whoa, whoa! Yes! Never seen one. Whoa! I've seen parts. Okay. I've, to be clear, I have seen parts. Okay, okay. But I've never, oh. I've never sat down and watched an entire one. Paul Walker. So, so this is Paul Walker and, and Vin Diesel. Vin Diesel. Okay. And then later on, The Rock came along in the series. But I mean, there's like ten Michelle of these. Twelve Rodriguez, of these now, right? right? Yeah, there's like nine or ten of them or something. Okay, I'm juicy. Fast the, and the Fast, Furious. the original Fast and the Furious awesome. from, from 2001. Bring I can't believe it's been 20 bleeping years since that movie came out. Bring it on! But I can't uh, wait. Yeah, and, and we encourage all of you listening, excuse me, to just follow along with us. Watch that movie sometime and uh, tweet us your thoughts. We have a long list of movies. There, there's a couple more that I added to the list, like Showdown in Little Tokyo has been recommended a couple times. And so that one's on the list at some point. But if you guys have recommendations for movies that we should dive into that we haven't, just tweet us at Phil Mackey, at Jay Zilgad, and at Dex's Tweets. That's a wrap on Action Movie Rewind, and we will see you guys on Monday. Hopefully, to recap. And you won't be over here using my belt for like your legal means, would you? Bookmakers and illegal activity, you know. You also would not know that uh, Richie owns this place and that he sells narcotics here because he's a puke and he likes to pervert kids and stuff. (laughs) Drugs. Nobody uses drugs around here. Yeah. You don't know nothing, do you? Anybody see Richie? Fastball was. Uh, it was a good fastball tonight. He was able to pitch a little bit with his off-speed pitches, too. He, he had a lot of things going. You know, ultimately, it was a couple of two-strike fastballs, I believe, to some good hitters that uh, ultimately, you know, that's how they came into their runs. And we were very pleased with the way Jose threw the ball. Uh, I think if he continues to throw the ball like that, uh, it's going to be a really nice year for yeah, him. Baldelli on a pretty good, pretty solid outing for, for Jose <laughs> Barrios. Pretty solid outing there for Barrios. Uh, but uh, he wasn't quite Shane Bieber, Pat Royce. Wasn't no, quite Shane Bieber. Uh, too bad they didn't know the Cardinals tested positive uh, yesterday, so they wouldn't have had to face him. Uh, <laughs> but uh, unbelievable. Uh, well, you got Clevenger, and uh, now that uh, Garrett Cole has left, and, uh, you know, I guess Scherzer and Patrick Corbin maybe, but. Uh, uh, young arms, big two, Clevenger and Bieber. Whew. That's uh, that's pretty good, isn't it? I, I saw the belt right today that he's the unquestioned ace in the staff. Well, Clevenger was the second best pitcher of the American League last year. He was unbelievable after the second half of the season. So, uh, yeah, they, uh, you know, I, I think with the Cardinals testing positive, we are heading into an area here that is probably uh, – shut this whole thing down eventually but if the if the cleveland indians play 60 games and these guys make 28 of the starts right 28 of the starts maybe they can squeeze them in a little extra one at the end they're gonna be pretty good they've got five guys too patrick yeah, savali please that carrasco they won't have to push carrasco i mean they no. can give him a day off when they want to uh but he's he's great too yeah that's uh yeah, I would say uh, Rios could maybe be the first starter on uh, the, the tribe staff behind those three, and then uh, then the other twins would uh, would be in uh, in contention for that rotation. So it's it's uh, quite a rotation. And despite the fact I was getting uh, tweets and uh, emails over the weekend 
about how wrong I was that the uh, that the pitchers were ahead of the hitters. Would be ahead of the hitters this year. I saw that the first week of the season, the uh, batting average is two twenty nine. Did you see that in Major League Baseball? Yeah, two twenty nine. So I don't know. What do you think? Uh, we haven't heard anything from the Twins yet, but uh, no. And it's possible um, when when people listen to this, there might be news. But I think whether there's games played or not, I saw your tweet, and I totally agree. How are you supposed to make this work in 30 ballparks if guys are going out to strip clubs and, like, if we're getting multiple tests on each team now here in the next week or so, I don't know, like, how are you supposed to finish a season doing it this way? They're good chicken wings, Phil. No, okay. I agree. I don't. This was all done for regional TV, right? Yes. They want to have their own games on at night to get their eight shows, right, all over the country. And not only not – only, uh, you know, 30 ballparks, but then, you know, instead of what, five hotels, if, if you were, maybe, maybe, maybe if you had five, five central locations, you know, and had six teams in each of them, uh, you know, you can locate two hotels. We got to make sure they're not having weddings at two hotels. I was reading stuff about how teams are in these hotels and there's weddings and drunks roaming all over the hotels. And, uh, uh, you know, it just, it, there's, there, there they're trying to keep uh, too many areas uh, safe, and uh, it, I don't think I don't think it's doable. And a lot of people said it wasn't going to be doable. And uh, you know, guess what, NFL? You're looking at your future here. Oh God, it's going to be worse. It's going to be a lot worse. A lot if, worse. If, if, if you think that, uh, I mean, if you think now, the only difference is they aren't playing nearly as many games. They aren't. Uh, they aren't making as many trips. I don't think it's the airplanes. I think it's putting people in that many different hotels yep. in that many different ballparks, and it's just it, you know, I don't think you can't have a bubble for baseball. Okay, I admit that you can't even have two bubbles for baseball, but uh, you, you can't do it this way either. You cannot you cannot have you know think that you're going to safeguard thirty ballparks and and thirty different hotels or however many different hotels it takes. It, it's just not going to work. Your thoughts on on baseball too, Patrick? Um, basically, it seems like on a daily basis or so, changing rules because we're now adju- yes. adjusting to what double dips are going to be seven yeah, innings a piece and not nine. That's that big wussy Tony Clark calling up and saying, "I don't want him to play nine. Well, just because you were too damn lazy to play nine, you got thirty players. Uh, I, that one bothers me more than play. As I said the other day, put a runner on second this season, that's fine. And maybe put him on second, uh, you know, in the 12th inning a year from now. But I, I just, you know, it's, here's my favorite. If you play seven innings and it's tied, you're going to put a runner on the second and the eighth inning. Did you see that? Yeah. Yeah. Put a on yeah. The We're making it up as we go, Pat. Well, if the Twins are using Zach Littell in the eighth, it's all the same anyways. So, oh. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, who, by the way, I loved last year. What the hell? He only had five base runs and two innings yesterday. Yeah, he looks, looks a little so, overwhelmed <laughs> so far. <laughs> anyway, yeah, I don't know what the, what, the, uh, what the answer is. But now, okay, you know damn well that when the Cardinals leave, the Twins go in there and clean the living hell out of that visiting locker room. Yes. But the fact that the Cardinals were in there Wednesday night, does that mean that the Indians can't play tonight and the Twins can't? I mean, does that mean they can't play? 
Yeah, I don't. Until they get the result of all their tests. Uh, I don't know. Might be a good idea yeah, not to. I it, mean, the Marlins but, but, played and said, "What the hell?" and but, it didn't work out. But I think, I think here's the problem: if the if the precedent is, hey, two Cardinals right now, it sounds like two Cardinals tested positive for COVID. It mm-hmm. sounds yes. like they're pitchers. Yeah. Right uh, now, we, we know who they are. Right now, but if the precedent is, hey, of all the people in the organization, two of them tested positive during a pandemic yes. in which the entire league has agreed we're going to play baseball during a pandemic. If the line is, well, two guys test positive, that means we have to shut down the entire next series of any team yes. that was close right. to them, then we then you can't play but the season. Two guys can turn into you, ten uh, guys. That's, I know what I'm that's saying, their it, problem. I'm saying like, you can't play the season if that's the case. No, and uh, you and I were, talk- we were all talking about this uh, a week ago before they ever played the first game. Is What is your standard to shut down? Are you going to completely panic if you get a positive test? Or are you going to say, okay, uh, we'll make sure the uh, fellas uh, shower up real good, clean out the clubhouse, uh, make sure that uh, you know that anybody that that guy was hanging around with is tested and play ball. Uh, you know, then you can do it. But but I think with the Marlins thing, the Marlin thing has changed the whole narrative. Yes. Yes. Any completely. positive test. Any positive test. Now, I mean, the Phillies didn't have it, but they have. Uh, two coach, two know, people, a coach and a personnel guy of some sort, or a a equipment guy, guy. and they've, they've had to cancel the whole weekend series. So, it, it, yeah, you're right. If that's the standard, it can't work. Yeah. And, uh, and uh, you know, I mean, the NHL's had, uh, the NBA's had how many possible? A bunch, right? And uh, the, the NFL's had, I mean, the uh, NHL's had a bunch. They're going to go ahead and play. Uh, because they realize there's going to be positive tests. Well, but, but they also like the, the biggest difference there is that when those when those leagues have positives, they they remove the positives from the bubble so that they can seal out right. the COVID yes. tests. They can't. Yes. They're not doing that in baseball. No, and that's that's you know that's the, the thirty ballpark thing. I, I told you guys a couple mm-hmm. weeks ago. This Spielborgs, this pretty articulate guy, was talking about this, and he said, "This the the, the, the thirty ballpark thing's not going to work." Yeah, and uh, and uh, you know, it's not. I mean, it's and it's the Marlins. And here's what frightens everybody. Of course, the Marlins went from four to sixteen in about two days. Right? That's uh, that's the problem. But uh, I still think if you check the videotapes from various uh, Miami nightclubs for the three weeks that the uh, young Marlins were uh, were uh, training doing that summer camp down there. Yeah, I might see a few of the fellas dropping. <laughs> no, what are you talking and, about? No, responsible. And no. They, and when they leave, you might see them in the company of another they didn't come in with. <laughs> oh, yeah. These are. But that's. That's my suggestion. Reckless accusations. They just wanted the chicken yeah, wings, okay? <laughs> All anyone wanted was a big plate of chicken wings. All I, I as I've said, my my whole thing on this deal has been when we saw the spring breakers and everybody went crazy. And you're from Bemidji, and you're on the beach. You're a 19 year old from Bemidji on the beach, drinking. Nice uh, white boy from Bemidji with no sun on him. And you look 10 feet away, and there's a young lady there in a very skimpy swimming suit who kind of gives you the eye. What would your possibility of death 
have to be for you not to go out there. Totally. 70%? It's not getting the virus. Will I die? Well, which it's virus are we talking cool. about? You know, I think that also, I think that also matters. You know? Yeah, it's 70%. 70% that not only am I going to get it, I'm going to die from it. Mm-hmm. That's the only thing that would keep you from it. Is it worth it? Is it worth it? Yes, is it worth it? <laughs> and the answer is damn near always going to be yes. Because that yes. because that gal and the gals like her, Pat, are undefeated, as you like to say. <laughs> they are. Yes, they are. But I don't know. I hope the Twins don't panic. I hope they play tonight, but I'm not counting on it. Well. We'll see. Uh, we'll talk to you again next week, and people can find your weekly podcast, Ricey Unchained, on scorenorth.com. He's also part of Monday Night Sports Talk with uh, the GL crew and uh, and yeah, Roycey on baseball, I, I was, too. And I was on with Suits today, and I uh, told him about this dream I had last night where a demon came to me and tried to get familiar. And luckily, uh, I had the advice of Dr. Emanuel, Trump's favorite doctor, to wake me up and it's good. I had the same dream two nights ago. It's crazy. Oh man! All right, Pat. Have a good uh, have a good weekend. All right, we'll maybe find a different baseball game on TV if the Twins don't play. This holiday, whether you're making a Baker's Simple Truth Turkey for 40 or a Murray's Baked Brie for two, Baker's has fast, fresh delivery and free pickup so you can make holiday meals that bring you all together to create memories that last. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Free pickup on orders of $35 or more. Restrictions may apply. Get more ways to save at the Buy 5 or More Save $1 each sale. Just buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Baker's, fresh for everyone.